Visionary Media. Have you ever wanted to record a podcast or video, but you didn't have the time or resources to get into an actual studio? Or perhaps you have tried interviewing guests online using other tools, but then the quality wasn't so good. Riverside.fm is the easiest way to create in-studio quality recordings from anywhere, all from your browser. With Riverside.fm, you can stream with your community and grow your audience base, schedule and invite with one click, or maybe get into producer mode, which gives you full control over how the recording session goes down, and so much more. Basically, Riverside.fm is your own online recording studio. Riverside.fm has been used by the industry's best companies and content creators like Gary Vaynerchuk, NPR, and even Jay Shetty. At Visionary Media, this has been a game changer for us whenever we do interviews with our guests. And I'm sure you're going to love it and find it super useful too. Get your storytelling game up a notch with Riverside.fm. Head on to our show notes to get you started. Hello, everyone. This is episode three. And our story for today is so juicy that it will be a two-part series featuring our special guest. You're listening to part one, and next week we will publish part two. So for now, sit back. Relax and enjoy the show. Member of the freelance movement. Freelance movement. Proud members of the freelance movement. Proud member of the freelance movement. PFMD rocks. Action. Focus. Feedback. Routine, grit, repeat. Hi there, PJ here. Welcome to the Visionary Podcast. On today's episode, we talk about John Pagulayan and the freelance movement tribe. His way of freelancing may trigger some people to be controversial because he believes and teaches that services are sold by coming from a place of help where you don't need credentials, portfolio, nor the experience to land high-paying projects and work with your ideal clients. Sounds too simple, right? But the results are astounding. Charlie Aquino closed a $20,000 deal for a video project. Yep, that's a million pesos just for one video. April Abion, who followed suit, is looking at a $15,000 minimum fee for a copywriting project in a health niche. And many others, young and old, people from different backgrounds and experiences, are able to learn and start their own freelance businesses right in the comfort of their own homes, or actually, wherever they are, really. Sounds crazy, I know. I thought about that, too. That's why it may be deemed controversial to some people. Because the program and the community promises a different kind of freelancing. A more valuable, less stressful way where clients see you as partners instead of employees. 
A brand of freelancing where every Filipino freelancer has a fighting chance to have the business and lifestyle of their dreams. On this episode, we speak to John Pagulayan himself, the founder of the Freelance Movement Tribe. This is his story. While talking to John via video chat, I see his new house as his backdrop. It looked like he was in a resort deck. So this Thank is you. the new house, Thank right? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's supposed to be a rest house. It's a one-story house. John never liked large houses. Growing up in the province with his three siblings, his mom and dad, he was so used to living in a house where they actually see each other any time of the day. Because what I've noticed is that when you purchase a large house, most of you don't even see each other. You didn't even get to say hi. You didn't get, even get to say good morning. And, and, and I'd hate for that to happen. This rest house sits on a lush property near Alfonso Cavite, a stone's throw away from a scenic spot regular to tourists called the Gaitai City here in the Philippines. It's surrounded by nature and it even has a gushing river nearby. Yeah, early in the morning you get to hear birds over there there's the river while you're just sitting here sipping your coffee. So sometimes we look at each other, my wife and I, and we'd say like, you know, this is life. It's fun. Years ago, the scene was much more different. A far cry from the pool, the lanai, and the whole resort feel of this rest house he has now. Yung regalo sa kasal na mga baso, mga ganun-ganun. Putson yun, yung bitbit namin. So wala kaming kama, wala kaming table, wala, wala lahat as in. As in wala lahat. So, talaga nag-umpisa kami sa ganun. Talagang yung bahay namin talaga, tumutulo ang kusina. <laughs> Totoo yan, tumutulo yung kusina. Tapos, pag umulan, hindi ako matutulog kasi bumabaha. We live in a small house. Well, actually, we didn't have any house before. We were uh, renting an apartment. It's a really small apartment. And back then, me and my wife, there was no couch. There was no bed. There were no tables. We only have this Uratex foam that we used to sleep in. And I think the first thing we bought was a refrigerator. And the reason why you bought a refrigerator was that it's to save more on food. Because if you keep buying food, it's not helping us. And mm-hmm. back then, I was working as a call center agent. And my allowance was, if I'm not mistaken, like 600 pesos for two weeks. And this is 600 pesos that I use for the travel to and fro work. So mm-hmm. you can just imagine, like, if for some strange reason I lost a peso or 20, then there's a very good chance I won't be able to get home. So what I do is that um, whenever I go to work... Whenever he goes to work, he'd walk up to the terminal, which was, by the way, really far. And he didn't want to spend money riding a tricycle either, just to save a little more. And then he would ride a jeepney twice and then walk from Alabang to work. Because I don't want to pay... 10 pesos for the van. So, mm-hmm. Where were you living like then? I was living in San Pedro. So the travel time was two hours and 30 minutes oh. going to work, usually because it's traffic. He basically spends four hours of his daily life commuting to work and back. During those times, it has been his goal to at least treat his family to Jollibee, the Filipino equivalent of McDonald's. On the rare occasions they go out as a family, 
This is where he takes them. I think we eat out once every two weeks. I barely see my ATM. We're in debt. And you know, I had my card pawned to a specific someone. So mm-hmm. all they do is give us my salary and I barely get to see my ATM. That's how life was. It's pretty awesome, I think. I have no qualms really about mm-hmm. you know about what happened before. I think it's one of like the happiest moments of you know of my life. It was simple. It was simple. Yeah, you know, I asked that question because usually this is one question people are so curious about. You know, especially when they admire or adore someone like you, a thought leader. They're always curious. What was your life like then? It wasn't hell, mm. but it wasn't. But it wasn't heaven as well. It's mm. fine. You're alive, but you're barely living. And it's good. You're a human being. You also went through stuff. And it's relatable. It's nice to hear that your humble beginnings, you have good memories about it. I still can't believe I'm doing this. Like these things that I'm doing right now. I wake up and, you know, I sometimes pinch myself hard just to, to know that I'm not dreaming. So who is John Pagulayan? How did he do it? How did he start the freelance movement tribe? How did he change almost 6,000 lives? John Pagulayan has been a household name in the Filipino freelancing world. I never knew that because I didn't have so much ideas about freelancing then, so I never really knew him until I saw a post of a friend. It was 2020, the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, and the world was starting to shut down. I was scrolling on my Instagram and saw my friend Arlene's post about some free webinar. I don't remember all that was there on that post, but one thing stood out. Something along the lines of earning pandemic-proof income caught my eye. So, curious as I was, I clicked the link. It led me to a free three-part video webinar, and so I watched. There, I saw a guy. He looked like he was in his early 30s. He was puffing a cigarette in between times he spoke. Oh, and there was a lot of swearing. A whole lot. This was totally unexpected, but then I started to listen, and then I started writing notes, until I finished the first of three videos. Also in the video, he mentioned about working only on Mondays. And I thought, you can do that? John, I have gotten a lot of questions from your community prior to this interview. And one of them is, what does a typical day look like for you? Can you describe what it's like? Usually my work day, Monday. So Monday, I would usually wake up early, probably around 6 or 7. And then from there, fix myself coffee, smoke, read something. I work from 6, 7, or 8. And then sometimes I even forget lunch and then eat lunch at 2 or 3. Because I'm, I'm kind of in the zone. And I don't want to get interrupted. I don't know what it is about Mondays. It's just brings a different flow in my life. I don't have to will myself to work on a Monday. That pretty much illustrates how his Monday looks like. Then he works again till 4 p.m. And by 5 or 6, he takes a break. And by 9 p.m., he works for himself. 
he dedicates time studying and learning and just being in the zone until around 6 a.m. That's how I work. I'm not some kind of like eight hours Monday, eight hours Tuesday. Monday's work day, like all throughout the day it's work. Well, surprisingly, it's fun. It's fun for me. And if you catch him by Tuesday, Thursday, or Friday, he says that you'd probably won't see a lazier guy than him on those days. So who is John Pagulayan? I'm just someone who writes emails for a living. That's kind of like who I am, really. He is also a father to three children and a husband to his wife, Carol. He comes from a middle-class family whose father is also an entrepreneur. Being an engineering undergraduate, he juggled jobs ranging from working as a supermarket bagger, a service crew for McDonald's, a barker, a billiards ball repairer, and yeah, even a clown. He eventually landed the corporate world as a call center agent because at the time, and in fact even till now, it is the only job that accepts college undergrads. He then got promoted as a trainer and stayed in the industry for eight years. Although he was already earning more as a trainer compared to his previous jobs, it was not enough to give his family the life he wanted for them. His routine was pretty much like, you, you eat, you sleep, and then you go to work. And I barely, barely had time for myself and my family. When asked about who he is, it's challenging to keep it in one sentence, really. It's because... It's kind of hard even yeah, for me to explain. If you ask me, like, who am I, you're going to find it weird. But I just know what kind of person I want to become. I can see it. I can feel it. I can taste it. I could literally see myself being that person. I could be sitting here doing nothing, but I could be thinking about that person, who I want to be. Is, have you always been that way? Yes, yes. I used to write copy for personal development and self-improvement mm. market. And it's kind of weird because when they were talking about it, that it's called manifesting, that it's called uh, visioning, mm. whatever they, they want to call it. But for me, I've always been that way. The moment I decided I want to be this person, it really feels real. Someone told me that it's not really usual for people to be like that. But for me, it comes naturally. I just feel it. Like they say, you can feel it in your bones. That's how it feels. Mm -hmm. I can feel it deep down. This is what I want to happen. So when something happens, it's no longer a surprise. It's more like, well, yeah, this is what I wanted. What do you usually hear from people when they see the video, when they meet you, when they hear about you? People who don't know me, people who have seen me for the first time, they don't really have a good impression of me. Because mm. I, you know, I don't really look the part. <laughs> don't get mad when I say this. When I started watching the video, who is this guy? He has tattoos. I think he has a beer on his table. And he's smoking. I mean, is this really the training? <laughs> you know what I mean? Here you were. Right. The beer, tattoos, a shirt, and smoking, and cursing. I was like, I'm going to watch this, you know? So that was my <laughs> first impression. But then I started to watch and listen and then take notes. And I was like, who is this John Pagulayan guy? I know that. I'm, I don't really look the part. Uh, but for people who know me, like not even really know me, but people who know me, see me, talk to me. You know, in an event, been a classmate of mine. But one thing they'd probably tell you is that I'm 
pretty much good at everything. A self-confessed introvert who enjoys reading manga, comics, and spending time alone, he also describes himself as... A jack of all trades. Like, if you ask me to dance, I'd probably dance. They know me as that guy who could do pretty much everything. People have this inherent trust when they do get to meet me. Because I don't talk. I'd end up listening to you most of the time, and you do the most of the talking. But that's probably what's going to happen if you end up trapped in a, in a room. I don't really talk. And when I do talk, someone calls me up front and then asks me to like talk. I get people to quiet down by not talking. Like It's, mm. it's weird. Mm-hmm. Like I just be there, and I just look at them, and then they stay quiet. And that's kind of like how the dynamic has been for me. Like Even up until now, if you ask me to go on stage, I have different layers depending on who I'm with. Like when I'm on stage, I, I get to strip off that introvert thing and then I become this person, this other guy. Fun fact, this introvert coach also joined a pageant once. I was asked to join a pageant. Mm-hmm. To join a weird. pageant? Yeah, to join a pageant. Mm-hmm. Like, I forgot the name of the pageant. They were trying to, you know, to coax me into a pageant. Now, I'm a small guy, right? I'm, I'm in like five foot four max like I think mm. so like five foot four guy pageant doesn't really match right um, and then uh, I didn't volunteer for this they volunteered me mm. and then the pageant came and then I went to the stage and I remember the the, the makeup artist saying it's like she was saying something along the lines of it's like you're a different person up there uh, on the stage mm-hmm. because when we were doing makeup she was thinking like okay so this guy won't even survive the elimination round and, and whatnot. Because I am I look meek. I don't talk. I don't really exude that confidence when, when she was doing makeup on me. I was like like this. But when we <laughs> went up to the stage, mm. when I went to the stage, like that's when it, you know, I just I don't know, I just I, I can for some reason I can just turn it on and off. I have layers and it depends on the people who I'm kind of with and just what the situation calls for. So you have like a switch. Like, I'm going to be this when I'm in this situation. I'm going to be this when I'm in this situation. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it's only lately that I realized that I'm literally shifting my identities. Like, mm-hmm. that's kind of what I'm doing. Let's talk about your tattoos. What do they mean? My first tattoo was this. Mm. Um, this one, it's, it's the name of my son. So it's Eon. Mm-hmm. And I figured that if I'm going to get my first tattoo, I'm going to start with something I won't regret. Mm-hmm. And then my second tattoo was, I think, this. Mm-hmm. So this, this kind of looks like your bagua. Uh, mm-hmm. like it the does. Chinese, the Chinese. But if you look really closely, it's actually a maze. Mm-hmm. We're in, this is the entrance. These are the planets. Unfortunately, the ink ran out, so there was a big gap in the middle. (laughs) And the rest are places he has been to, like Texas, San Francisco, Japan, Guam, Cambodia, and Hong Kong, just to name a few. Basically, while others collect ref magnets, my hobby is collecting tattoos, so that whenever I look at my right arm, memories come rushing in. I don't need to look at pictures I don't need to to do anything I just look at my right arm and it reminds me how awesome of a life I've lived mm-hmm. so do you plan to get inked whenever you travel yes how did you have your first premium client and how long did it take 
just to be clear, when we say premium somewhere, mm-hmm. ito talaga yung premium na thousand dollars talaga yung yung the church ko. Kasi back then, I was only charging like $25 per email. Mm-hmm. So, this is my first. Tapos, ang, ang amount pa niya is $4,750. Where did he get that first premium client? That was from inside the group that I'm in. And I saw that they were looking for help and I, and I kind of volunteered. Like, not really looking for help, but more like I was helping him out. And then they wanted to do something with their email. And I was doing this, well, my version back then of Discovery Call, which is sort of the same that in the like, like what we have today. He's talking about the early stages of his signature process in getting premium clients called the CCPP process, which means connect, call, proposal, and paid. But it was more bare bones and me like going all over the place because back then I didn't have the mindset of, well, basically I already know that it should be coming from a place of help. But back then I was trying to fight the selfishness and <laughs> I mean, it's, it's money, right? I, I needed money back then. And this was almost two years into my freelancing. So I, after the call ended, I asked my, and I asked my mentor, uh, I said, okay, so I was talking to blah, 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 this and that. We're going to launch a program. Here's the price. Uh, here's the, here are the problems that I, that I got. What do you think? What do you think and how much do you think should I charge? He often talks about his mentor who helped him on his journey to success. But who is he exactly? To this day, nobody knows. Just him. And he replied to me in an email saying, well... Charged him $5,000. And I'm like, wait, wait, what? But then I was thinking like, oh my God, like, I mean, 5000 is maybe too much. Least, oh, I only need to write like 13 emails tops. So maybe $5,000 is too much to ask. I wasn't really comfortable asking for $5,000. When I emailed him, I was expecting like $500 for 13 emails. <laughs> Or 700, that was it. Or 750 tops. But when he replied, like, okay, charge them $5,000. And I'm like, okay, can I bargain a bit? How about charging them only only 4000 or 3000 So you wanted to lower the price. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I was, asking, I was asking my mentor back then. So here's the situation. How much do you think should I charge? And he said, like, charge 5000 But, you know, 5000 doesn't really sit well with me during that time because I have no idea yet about value, about the revenue line and all that stuff. I have no idea about those. So here I am bargaining with my mentor about that what if I charge just three thousand? And he said, wait, remember our condition when you know when I when I accepted you? And I'm like, yeah, sure. That you're supposed to do everything that I that I tell you the moment you no longer do that. You're out. Like you're no longer my mentee, and I won't refund you five thousand dollars. He paid that mentor five thousand dollars to teach him. And I'm like, okay, how about this? How about four thousand seven hundred and fifty? Because I really could not, for the life of me, I really don't think I could have charged five thousand dollars. So maybe a little bit off, like two fifty off, just to make my, you know, just to make myself more calm about the price. And he said, okay, sure. Go ahead, charge for seven fifty, and I did, and I charged for seven fifty. But and the outcome? 
And all I had to do was ask for it. And then they gave it to me. That was my first premium client. And it's sort of unforgettable because it was the first time that my beliefs were kind of broken. Mm-hmm. This is really possible that this thing could actually happen. So he charged $4,750 for 13 emails. And from there... So the moment I was able to charge four thousand seven fifty, you know what? You know, we you know what? I came back to two thousand. Oh, why? I don't know. I just felt that I came from five hundred. My highest was four seven fifty. So I think two thousand would be just right. I guess it was an amount that if someone asked me like how much do you charge for email, two thousand, it's not something that would cost me to, to stutter. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like. I'm just looking for an amount that I can say with a straight face and mm-hmm. and straight straight voice. So 2,000 doesn't make me stutter or lose eye contact with the with the mm-hmm. client. <laughs> yeah. From 150 members, the freelance movement tribe's numbers now are staggering. The paid community now has close to 6,000 members and growing while the free community has more than 114,000. His Facebook page has 72,000, Instagram has close to 15,000, TikTok close to 2,000, and YouTube with more than 11,000 subscribers. So it's a highly successful community without a doubt. Did you ever imagine that you would come to this point? No. No. I, to be honest, I... I didn't even know we have 70,000 people on the page. That's how clueless I am. I don't even know how many followers you have on Instagram. I don't keep track of the number of people inside the group. According to a recently published article by the Manila Times, there are a total of 4.6 million Filipinos that are currently looking for employment opportunities. In the same article, Job Street Country Manager Philip Gioca Cited data from the Department of Labor and Employment said that, at present, a total of 1.5 million Filipinos are already employed in freelance jobs. Because for me, at the back of my head, I'm always just thinking, if we just keep doing what we need to do, we're just going to get there. It doesn't really bother me how many people or inside the free community or not. It's not really just the focus. When we were starting this out, I honestly have no idea that's going to blow up like this. Before the start of the tribe, people were already messaging John, asking him to create a course about freelancing. And my response was always, well, why me? Every time people would ask him, he would always refer them to his friends who actually have courses and programs. And I'd always be like, well... You know what? My friend Marvin has this program. I always refer people to other influencers and gurus in the freelancing space. So when we started the tribe, it, it wasn't like a grand plan. It was more like a, like a get-together of, of friends. So it was a, a pilot project back when we called it the Script and Proposal Accountability Group. So it was called SPAG. And also the Freelance Movement Masterclass, which was a fundraising event for his godchild who had biliary atresia back then. And it was a a very quick project, maybe one or two months long. And we were able to raise a very 
uh, a life-changing amount for the little girl who obviously had a very successful operation. So that was sort of like a glimpse of what the tribe right now might be because of those first two groups, first two events. And that was Dennis Abad, or more popularly known in the freelancing space as Coach Shodden. He was one of the first people who was with John during the inception of the freelance movement tribe. Because of the constant clamor, he gave in with the only condition that he helps 100 people only. And then they were asking me, okay, so how much are you going to be charging these people? I said, 10K. And they were like, are you sure? Like... In the words of, you know, Coach Neil Reichel, like, galit ka ba sa pera? Like, <laughs> and I'm like, no, no. It's just that I, in my head, until now, I, I still don't consider myself uh, a coach. When people call me, call me JTL or coach, I still cringe from time to time. The acronym JTL means John the Legend, and it's a nickname the community coined for him. It was because of the things that they were learning from him and the results they were getting from what they were learning from him. And that concludes the first of our two-part series featuring John Pagline, where you learned about his humble beginnings and where we shed some layers to get to know him on a more personal level. On part two, we get to know how exactly he built the freelance movement tribe why he shot himself from the world, his near-death experience, and the future of freelancing. Catch those and more next week here on The Visionary Podcast. This episode has been written and produced by yours truly, edited and co-produced by Brian Bruces. Many thanks to John Pagulayan for gracing this episode to share his story and how he built the freelance movement tribe. Thank you as well to Mark Jopit Bangolan of Streamit Media for the audio snippets of the intro from the Freelance Movement Tribe's anniversary video, which we used for today's episode. Thank you also to Dennis Abad and the rest of the members of the Freelance Movement Tribe. Please subscribe to our podcast and give us a rating or a review or send a message on how you think we can do better at tvp at visionarymedia.com. We always love reading your messages and they also help us create better content so you can enjoy better stories. Follow our socials to ensure you don't miss out on any of our episodes. Thank you for listening. I'm PJ Chongsoneri. Catch you next time here on the Visionary Podcast. Thank you.